Ever since Hollywood put the images of vampires on the silver screen, this night creature has captured our imagination in both our horror and fascination for its gore and mystics. Deep in ourselves, there's this conflicting desire that likens the self-flogging of a pious monk. We are horrified by what we saw, but we feel satisfied by the exact thing. That's why we kept going back. It doesn't matter that it scares us. It doesn't matter that we wasted money because we hit our faces in someone's jacket for half the movie. We would beam in excitement as soon as the show is over and join in with our friends to celebrate how fun it was. It was an adrenaline addiction. It was a roller coaster ride of a sort. Yes, it will come back to haunt us in our dreams. Yes, we'll make pointless checks in our closets and under the bed before we sleep. But it's just part of the rituals. Vampires continue to fascinate us. We are drawn to the myths of its origin and the stories of how one can be turned. Even the rules would stir our curiosity beyond its limit. A vampire is the undead. It bears no image. It is afraid of the sun. Holy water and garlic may repel it, and a wooden stake in the heart will kill it. A vampire is strong and powerful, but wait, it would need to be invited before it can enter your home? Is that a thing, or is it just a myth to the myth? With all these rules of do's and don'ts, we are making it real in our mind. Perhaps the fun of this imagination game is that we know that vampire is not real, but can it be? That slight chance of possibility which we allow is what kept us sitting on the edge of our seats in the movie theater or watching from whatever digital device. While this unexplainable allure continues, vampires did not remain the same. Over years, Directors and screenwriters have changed the rules. They can turn into bats, or they don't. They are not super strong, or they can be. Their bodies will be there after being killed, or they may turn into ashes. But the most significant change over time is the philosophical nature of what a vampire entails. From the days of black and white silent movies. Till the legendary casting by Christopher Lee, the vampire is a monster to be killed. In those days, the vampire is portrayed as an evil invading the midst of mankind, deceiving the oblivious as the wolf in sheep's skin. You may be charmed by its social elegance, you may even be enchanted by its sophisticated demeanor, but be certain. Its ultimate motive is to sink its fangs in your carotid artery and suck out all the livelihood in you. The horror is the thought that this monster intends to dine on you. That's why the protagonist, the arch enemy of the vampire Van Helsing, has no other purpose but to kill the monster. Whether he plunges a wooden stake into its heart. Or he tears down the curtain to let in the sunlight that burns the vampire to its death. That was the climax of the movie. 
evil dies and the good triumphs, we are now saved. That was the story. In this story, the vampire is nothing more than a monster waiting to be destroyed. And then the story changed. When Hollywood began to explore further into the novel by Bram Stoker, they uncovered something that redirected the audience's attention, which inherently transcended their fear into curiosity. That is, how the vampire came to be. The character Count Dragula is based on a real figure with fictional twists. Legend says that Vlad, the Impaler of Romania, came home from a victorious crusade to find his beloved wife committed suicide. She received false news that he was defeated and was killed in the battle. Hoping death would reunite them in heaven, she took her own life. But the priest told the Romanian prince that suicide was a mortal sin. Her soul will never reach the gates of heaven but will be tormented in hell instead. Is this the reward for serving God's church? exclaimed the prince in distraught. In the end, he renounced and cursed God, and for that, he was turned into a vampire. This is a pivotal point in history. There is, now, a story behind the monster, and the monster is humanized. He loved, he grieved, he was enraged because of his great tragedy, Yes, he still set out to kill and terrorize the world with his bloodlust, but we can all relate to how he was trapped and beaten down by fate. Behind the fangs, behind the deadly cold stare, we now also see a broken soul looking for ways to express his great sadness in all the wrong places. Beside our fear and curiosity, we find sympathy. The generational change on the view of vampires began from this point on. Writers and directors tried to find a new voice, and we witnessed the vampire character was morphing into different shapes. Some were substantial, some were more experimental, which we know is not going anywhere, but the evolution was in plain sight. A good example of the transition would be the character Louis played by Brad Pitt's in Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. Here's a dialogue between Louis and another vampire, Armand, played by Antonio Banderas. Justifying his murderous act of burning all his ally vampires to ashes, Armand says, They have forgotten their first lesson, that we must be powerful, beautiful, and without regret. Louis asks in almost an indifferent manner, And you can teach me this, to be without regret? Yes, Armand replies. Then what a pair we could make! Louis continues with a twist. But what if it's a lesson I don't care to learn? Surprised by the question, Armand turns to him. What do you mean? Louis answers, What if all I have remaining is my suffering, my regret. Don't you want to lose it? Armand is almost insisting. So you can have that too? 
Louis finally reveals his disdain for his companion. The heart that mourns her, her that you burn to a cinder. When Armand tries to deny his crime, Louis says, Ah, but I know you did. You, who regrets nothing. You, who feels nothing. If that's all I have left to learn, I can do it on my own. The character Louis, played by Brad Pitt, is a vampire who was turned when he was in his early 20s. As much as their kind may convince themselves that they are beautiful, powerful, and without regret, Louis continues to dwell in a melancholy that sees life in his pain. When Armand offered to show him the way to live a life without regret, he refused and replied with a question. What if all I have is my suffering, my regret? The heart that mourns for his love could be the only thing that reminds him of his lost humanity. Yes, there continue to exist evil vampires that see human beings as nothing more than cattle waiting to be slaughtered. But now there is Louis, the poetic being who embraces a past memory for his future and refuses to take blood from humankind. And if there is a distinction between Louis and evil, who is to say that there cannot be good and evil within the vampire community? Taking this further, if there is good and evil with the vampires, then what is the difference between vampires and human? The next step of evolution becomes clear, and it is finally complete in the age of twilight. One cannot overstate the significance of the Twilight Saga in the vampire evolution process. Not only the fictional characters Edward and Jake stole the hearts of thousands of women, they literally transform and transcend the genre to a whole new level. I remember striking up a conversation with a young lady at work at the peak of the Twilight Fever. Knowing she's a fan, I asked, which of the two main male characters she would choose if she's in their world? Would it be Edward, the vampire who embraces a melancholy spirit of a poet? Or will it be Jake, the masculine, rebellious werewolf who runs in the woods bare-chested? She was stunned, she struggled, and she could not give me an answer. I teased her while walking away, saying, Oh, you two-timing girl, you. The weekend came and was over. I heard someone calling my name at work. I looked up. It was the same girl whom I had the conversation on Twilight last week. I thought about it, she said with a look of conviction on her face. It's going to be Jake. It took me a split second to realize what she was talking about. Little did I know that our conversation possibly gave her several sleepless nights, tossing and turning, trying to decide with which of the fictional character she will pledge her allegiance and love. And this is the point. The vampire is no longer a figure that we fear. It has become someone whom we can adore.
To the new generation, vampires are like you and me. They may have a different diet, but we don't laugh at people who have a different diet. Let's not be rude. Celine, the lead vampire in Underworld, reminded her newly turned half-breed vampire slash werewolf boyfriend Michael, "Don't forget to pack some blood from the blood bank." Trust me, she said. You don't want to live with the guilt. So, we learned that vampires and werewolves may feel guilty if they killed or hurt humans because of their natural drive. It's a bit like drunk driving. It is still a horrible crime, but we really didn't mean to do the harm, and it can be controlled if you are responsible, just like a good driver is. Towards the end of the movie, the main character Bella, played by Kristen Stewart, has to be turned into a vampire so she can spend eternity with her love Edward. The evolution is complete. The vampire is no longer a monster. It is a being of a different kind that lives among us, no matter it's Mormon, Muslim, or Jewish, no matter it's vampire or human. We can learn to live together and love one another. In the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the free-thinking white girl played by Katherine Houghton shocked her parents when she introduced them her black boyfriend. Played by Sydney Poitier. Let's imagine a similar scenario with a twist. Your gothic daughter with a nose ring announced that her new boyfriend is coming for Thanksgiving, and for a nostalgic reason, let's call him Spike. Other than the fact that you don't like his hair, he's surprisingly mainstream in style. Okay, Dad, your daughter pulled you aside. I don't want you to freak out, but. Spike is a vampire. She spoke to you in a voice that she obviously did not want you to embarrass her. All it means is that he won't be eating with us, but he'll sit with us at the table. He brought his own food. We just need to give him a glass. And please do not stare at him the way you're staring at me right now. Don't embarrass me, okay? I really like him. In reality. This exact scenario would not likely to happen, but give it another twist. Your daughter is not gothic or has a nose ring. No, let's keep the nose ring. I kind of like that. And Spike is not a vampire, or he may not even be your daughter's boyfriend. He's just a friend from school or from work. But he's gay, or he's queer, or he's a them. In other words. Your children are running with members outside your common crowd. If art reflects what's happening in reality, then the evolution of vampires in Hollywood could be representing the change of perspectives towards certain communities from one generation to another. At one time, gays and lesbians were treated as social outcasts. The mainstream mindset attached them with shame and guilt. They were either going to be sidelined or purged from the social construct. They were like monsters to be killed. The younger generation decided otherwise. They have turned the monster into regular beings. They might have a different diet. They might have a strange sleeping pattern, but they experience love, 
and pain the same way that a regular person does. Good and evil do not adhere to their natural state as LGBTQ. They come as a result of character formation just like anybody. For those who wish to engage with culture and with the younger generation, they must continue to remind themselves who's coming to dinner. <laughs>